So we'll, we'll stand for the reading of God's word, which will be Philippians 3, 10 through 14. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So you got a bonus verse there too. Rookie mistakes, I guess. So this morning we have a, a guest pastor, Brother John Webb. Um, he's been in the Texarkana area as a pastor for a long time. So we're, we're thankful for him filling in and for the preparation and, and, and time and the prayer he's put into to this service. You may be seated. Thank you, Eric. It's quite an honor and a privilege to be with you when... Jared called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me to fill in today. What an honor. I have looked up to your pastor ever since I was a little boy. And uh, I really was honored that he asked me to be here today. Uh, happy Father's Day again to the men. I don't know if your house, if you had storms last night and early this morning, but boy, we did. And I woke up and went to sleep and woke up and went to sleep. And it reminded me of the pastor who dreamed he was preaching. He was tossing and turning and dreamed he was preaching. And he woke up and he was. He was in the pulpit. He had gone to sleep. He was so tired. Well, I don't want to put you to sleep. And I don't want to go to sleep while I'm bringing God's word to you today. But it is quite an honor to be here. I, we've, we moved here to Texarkana 39 years ago this week. It uh, was our wedding anniversary, our uh, eighth anniversary at that time, and we uh, loaded up two little Datsun station wagons with our kids and two dogs, and I had my son and a 95-pound collie and a 65-pound pit bulldog in the back part. And uh, we went up the road and stopped and got McDonald's for our anniversary meal. But we had to eat it in the car because of the dogs. And so I'm, I'm trying to eat my cheeseburger. And the collie's head comes over my shoulder and starts drooling down on me. So we, we had quite a memory getting here uh, to answer the call of God to come to Texarkana to pastor the Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. We were there 38 years. I saw myself there another 10 years. I really did. I saw myself pastoring up into my 80s, but the Lord began to just prompt my heart and tell me it was time to step aside as the pastor of that church. And so for, for the next, that next summer, so for several months, I kept it to myself, finally uh, shared it with my wife, because men, you know, sometimes our wives have a way of bringing us back to reality sometimes. 
And she was fine with it and said, this is what the Lord's telling you to do. So one year ago, I announced to the church that God was leading me away from them. I didn't understand it all, but I knew that if I stayed, I would be out of God's will. And if I stayed, I would have that church out of God's will. So like Abraham in Genesis 12, I followed God into an uncertain future. I was going without knowing. But I want to tell you something, as most of you know, when you follow the Lord, you can't go wrong. And it's been quite an adventure and to have the opportunity to preach in some uh, different churches over these uh, last months has been wonderful and to visit with many of my fellow pastors. <clears throat> my throat is getting a little dry. I don't know if y'all got any water. Could I get a little bottle of water maybe? Anybody got a bottle of water? I don't right in front of me hey there you go okay this has happened before I don't want to be like the preacher that was preaching and he took a drink of water and he preached a while and he took a drink of water and he preached and he did that the whole service and afterwards a lady going out you know one of those encouragers said that's the first time I've ever seen a windmill run by water <laughs> so I'm going to try to not be a windmill and bring God's word to you today from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> and what we see here with Paul, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on, but sorry. So we see his life out before him, and we can, we can lay our lives on this grid he talks about his future, the prize that's out there. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to, the, to his death. That's the prize that's out there. And he talks about that prize. And the word know in verse 10 is gnoso, which means to know by experience. You see, for 22 years I knew about Jesus Christ. And I had walked a church aisle and I had gone through the waters of baptism. But I had never come to a commitment or relationship with Jesus. And Paul encountered that on the road to Damascus. And he asked the question, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. And so at that point, he began a, a, a lifelong pursuit of knowing who are you, Lord, knowing more about him. That's the future that's out there. The present is the pursuit of that. But before we do all of that, and it's, and it's athletic imagery here, the Greek games, the Olympic games, they all understood those, the runners, the competitors. And, and, and so in those games, you had to be in shape, you had to be in condition, and the main thing is... You gave it all in that race. You unloaded. You didn't carry weight with you. And I want us to talk about the weights that we carry today, the things that we've got to unload, because the prize is out there, the present pressing on, the pursuing that we're doing, or ought to be doing. And it's interesting when he says that I press on. I press on. He uses that word twice in this passage here. And what he's talking about, it's a... It's a word that the root of it's used 44 times in the New Testament and most of the times it's used for persecution 
Paul was a persecutor. That means to hunt someone down, to pursue them. And Paul said, I'm pursuing Christ. That's his life right now. But to do that, he says, one thing, this one thing I do, forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind. When I started backpacking with my son, he was in the fifth grade. I'd never done any backpacking and scouting. I was an Eagle Scout. He was working on his Eagle Scout. And uh, there was a man that I had met at the gym that uh, backpacked. He was section hiking the Appalachian Trail. He was in his 70s at the time. I was in my 50s, and I thought, well, man, you know, I can keep up with him. Didn't happen starting out. That first time... He had sold me some of his old equipment, and I packed. And I didn't realize that every little thing adds weight, and I was well overpacked. We started up uh, towards Pinnacle Mountain there in Little Rock on the Washita Trail. And <laughs> about 20 minutes down that trail, I didn't say anything to them, but I said to myself, I have made a big mistake. My son, fifth grade, he was just, he was on an adrenaline high. He was so excited. But I learned that cotton clothes weigh a lot more than synthetic clothes. And over the years, I began to unload. But think about it. If you've never backpacked, you carry it all. You carry your closet. You carry your kitchen. You carry your bathroom. And you carry your bedroom. You've got it all there. So, you know, it, it was heavy. And uh, Tony Perkins with Washington Watch said his first time backpacking as a little scout, his mother packed his pack, and she put in canned soup and canned beans. And he said some animals were really eating good along that trail because he started just unloading the weight. And so when we're pursuing Christ, there are some weights that we've got to unload. And Paul said we forget now, when he uses the word forget in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind, it means to lose out of one's mind. Now, I tell you young people something to look forward to as you get older. It gets fun as you lose things and they're right there before you. The older you get, the more you think about the hereafter. You'll go in a room and say, what did I come in here after? And you'll just, you know, it, it's just uh, a part of it. And Paul said, forgetting, literally to lose out of your mind. Now here's how it applies to us and Scripture. It means to no longer be influenced by. There are some things in our lives that we cannot forget but we make a conscious decision and we come to the point that we will no longer be influenced by them. I heard of a class reunion. It was a 60th class reunion. And uh, the classmates were there catching up. And at one of the tables as they were visiting, there was a widower. And he is visiting with the different classmates around the table. And there was a widow there, and they hit it off. They had the best time that evening. And at the end of the evening, as they were about to leave, he turned to the widower, turned to the widow, and he said, 
I have had the best time I've had in years. And she said, oh, I have too. And he looked at her and he said, would you marry me? She said, well, yes, I would. Well, the next morning he woke up and he said, oh, me, oh, my, oh, me. This is so embarrassing. When I asked her to marry me last night, I cannot remember if she said yes or no. I have forgotten what she said. So finally he broke down and he called her up and she answered. And he said, I had the best time last night. And she said, oh, I did too. And he said, but I'm embarrassed to, for, to admit this. But I woke up this morning and I cannot remember for the life of me when I asked you to marry me last night if you said yes or no. She said, oh, I said yes, I said yes, I said yes. And I am so glad you called because I woke up this morning and couldn't remember who I said yes to. <laughs> and so... We forget, but some things we can't forget. And Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. Why? Because if he held on to all of the things of his past, they would so weight him down, he would not be effective for the Lord moving forward. And it's the same way with me, and I have a feeling it's the same way with some of you this morning. So what is it that we are to forget? Forgetting those things which are behind. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62? He said, no one having put his hand to the plow and what? Looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Paul says here in Philippians 3, forgetting those things in verse 13 which are behind. A runner when he's running the race if he gets distracted, if he doesn't keep focused on the finish line, and he turns to see how far ahead he is, how close the other runners are, he breaks stride and it slows him down. The athlete running down the field catches the pass, runs towards the goal line, but he turns and he looks to see who's around him. And he breaks his stride, and the defender is able to catch up with him and push him out of bounds. Forgetting those things which are behind. We are to leave them in the past and we are to move on. And so what are those things that Paul had to forget? Things that I've had to forget? Things that you're to forget? Well, believe it or not, first of all, Paul had to forget his successes. Paul was a very successful man. When you take this New Testament and you think about it, he wrote 13 of the epistles. 13 were written by Paul, more than anyone else. When you think of the book of Acts, you think of the uh, book of Luke, it's believed by historians that those were written as a legal defense for Paul who was in trial in Rome, being tried for his life. Think of the churches that were started. Think of his advantages Starting in verse 4, back up here in chapter 3, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had quite uh, an advantage there, because of his upbringing. And then as we've already mentioned, that experience on the Damascus Road, 
the blinding light from heaven, him falling to earth, hearing the voice and, course, and, and uh, relate, uh, talking and, and listening to Jesus there in the dust of that road on the, ro- on the road to Damascus. And then he tells us in the scriptures that he was caught up into the third heaven and he heard things that were not lawful to utter. Now you know that the first heaven is where we go outside now and we see the birds flying around. The second heaven is where we see the stars and the planets and the space station. But the third heaven is the dwelling place of God and the saints. And he said, I visited that. I went there and I heard things that weren't lawful to utter. So he had quite the advantage. And then, as we said, the accomplishments Uh, writing all of these epistles and starting these churches that uh, were started by Paul and uh, the, the impact he made for Christian liberty to help the church let go of the fact that you had to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And for the Gentiles, he met with the church at Jerusalem and he went to bat for that truth of Christian liberty and how that affects us today and the way that we enjoy the liberty that we have. And we think of the other things that that happened with the Apostle Paul, the churches uh, all over, all over, and particularly right here uh, today at Philippi because of the fact that he followed the Macedonian call. And it's because the gospel went to Philippi there at Europe that we received the gospel in the United States. And so we have here the accomplishments of the Apostle Paul. But not only those accomplishments, not only the advantages, but think of the miracles that were performed by the Apostle Paul, the successes that he had in ministry. When Paul went and, and uh, healed the lame, when Paul raised the dead, cast out demons, and it was seen to be in an upper tier of miracles because in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11 the Bible says now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul you say well what's such a big deal about past successes it's this when we have a string of past successes we can become self-reliant we can become self-confident we can begin to think of what we've done and we forget it's God doing it through us amen the first time that I was asked to preach was at my home church in Memphis Tennessee for a Wednesday night prayer service the pastor and staff were were out of town on a mission trip and I tell you what I've prayed I prayed I fretted I was a nervous wreck at work I was pacing around and I didn't realize it until the next day but the people that worked didn't know what was over me. I didn't say anything to anyone. I was just thinking about that all day as I was doing my job. I found out after I left, they said, I think that boy's getting married tonight. He is so nervous. On the way to the church, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. As they were having a prayer request, I was down there praying, and I got up, and God blessed. God blessed. Years years later in ministry, one day I was... I was thinking, you know, things are just not, there's not that edge that there used to be. And God reminded me of that trip, driving from my house to the church that Wednesday night, the way I was praying and and just laying it all before him and how 
over the years I became self-reliant. Thought I had it. And that brought me full circle back to God. Unless you do it, it isn't going to get done. God, I'm nothing. You're everything. And since then, I've not tried to preach or teach without total dependence upon the Lord. In fact, every time I go to preach, I have four men that I know are praying men. You know, some people say, I'll pray for you, and a lot of times they forget. But these guys I know, when they say they're going to pray, they pray. And I texted all four this morning and said, I'm going to be at Christ Community Church in Texarkana. I need your prayers. And pray specifically, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. And so on those prayers and the confidence in the Lord, I stand here today not in past successes, not in accomplishments, but trusting fully in the Lord. M.R. DeHaan of Radio Bible Class, maybe you've used the daily bread before for devotionals, he said, self-satisfaction is the death of progress. Most, the most boring people I've ever met are the ones who take up my time telling me what they have done when they ought to be doing. Past successes. We've got to leave them in the past. Thank God for them. Praise Him and give Him the glory for what He's accomplished but leave them behind so we can move forward in our pursuit of Christ. But one that may not be as, as mysterious and really more obvious, Paul had to leave behind, and this is harder, he had to leave behind his past sins. Paul writes to Timothy, one of his preacher boys in the ministry, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 let me give you a couple of phrases there he talks about that he was formerly Paul was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man in verse 15 he talks about Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners and then he says of whom I am chief in other words if you line up all the sinners I'm at the front of the line I'm the number one sinner Paul understood his sinfulness. Why? Well, one thing, he was at the stoning of Stephen and giving consent and encouraging on those who were martyring Stephen, persecuting the churches. In Acts chapter 22, verses 4 and 5, Paul said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. I imagine that haunted Paul the rest of his days in his mind seeing the blood splatter and to hear the thuds of those stones taking the life of righteous Stephen and others that Paul was instrumental in arresting and persecuting. So what do we do about our past? What do we do about those sins that we regret? Those things that if we could have a do-over without hesitation we would get rid of those things and never do those things. Well... We've got to leave him in the past. We've got to have the faith to understand that as a believer, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And if we're not a Christian, to come to Christ today, admitting that we're a sinner and asking him 
to forgive us. There's a verse in Scripture that's been called the Christian's bar of soap verse. It's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was listening to a radio program the other day. I think it was Family Life Today. And uh, the host of the program now, Dave Wilson, he and his wife, Ann, were interviewing a man. And we're talking about integrity. And he was talking about when he was being interviewed to come to work at family life. And Dennis Rainey had uh, invited him. And so they flew uh, to Little Rock to have this meeting. And, of course, he was nervous. It was a job interview. It was make it or break it. And he said as he went into the, the office of Dennis Rainey, Dennis was sitting there at the desk, and he invited, he invited them to come and sit across the desk from him. And Dave said as he was sitting there, Dennis looked at him, locked eyes with him, kind of looked through him, and said, I've got just one question. Are you clean? And he said, I dared not break that stare. And I said, yes. I knew what he was talking about, and I said, yes. And he said, he turned and looked at my wife, and he asked Ann, is he telling the truth? And she said, yes, he is. You're hired. He thought, is that it? But that was everything. I mean, if you've got sin in your life, and you're not walking in purity, how can you be serving the Lord? You've got to deal with it. And so many times, we try to excuse our sin like a pretzel twist around the truth to accommodate our sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, and the word confess is a compound Greek word. It's two words put together, and it means to say the same thing. To agree with God. Yes, God, you say this is sin. I agree with you it is sin. I confess it. And now I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Fifty years ago, I know it's going to be hard to believe, but fifty years ago, I was a college senior and I had dropped out of church. I was through with church. All the things that had gone on and I wasn't real involved in it, but I was through. I, I, I was out of there. And it's a long story to, that we don't have time for. But we had a new pastor come. And I was hearing good things about him. And I thought, well, I'm going to go hear him once. And, and I was very disrespectful. And I said to myself, I'll go hear this bozo once. So I can tell him I've heard him. But I'm, I'm through. And I went. And he was a Bible preacher. I mean, he preached the word. And I left, and I'd been fed, and I said, well, anybody can have a good day. I'll check him out again. And I did that from July to December. I started going back on Sunday nights. started going on Wednesday nights. He was preaching on the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the Spirit-filled life. God getting all of you. 
And on December the 30th, 1973, he gave this challenge. He said, to go home, get a legal pad, get your Bible, get on your knees, and begin to confess everything in your life that's not right with God. Ask Him to bring it to your mind. Write it down. Write it down. Pray. Write it down. Look at your Bible. Write it down. And when you get through, write across it 1 John 1, 9. And realize that all of that is forgiven because you have confessed it. And then he said, tear up that piece of paper. You don't want your enemy to get that. And I went home that night, and I got on my knees, and I turned it all over to Jesus. I confessed those sins. I asked him to forgive me. I got right with him and praised his name. My life has never been the same. I thought it was over. I thought when I, con when I committed my life to him, my life was going to be dull, drab, just a non-existence till I died. But I accepted the fact that I needed to get right with him. But it was just the opposite. It took on meaning and purpose. And, and Jesus was so true when he said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so confess your sins today. Get on the other side of them then we see that not only is there confession, but there is condemnation. Satan doesn't want us to forget our sins. He will remind us of our sins. He will use them against us. That's why by faith we've got to accept the fact that they are forgiven. Because that sin is like a handle on our back. And Satan, anytime he sees us starting to move toward God, there's a movement of God in our life and we're wanting to get right with God. The old devil will grab that handle of that sin and say, wait a minute, come back here. Where do you think you're going? Who do you think you are? Do you remember such and such? And so we've got to realize that there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't allow your past to become your prison. Confess those sins, get them under the blood, and accept the fact that Jesus has forgiven you, and then you are unloading those weights. You can press on, have spiritual amnesia. I think of the fact that uh, in Psalm 103 and verse 12, the psalmist reminds us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Now, some of you know, or most of you know, that if you start going north, you can travel far enough north that you're going south. And if you go south, you're going to eventually be going north. But if you go east, you never get to the west. And if you go to the west, you never get to the east. And that's why he said, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your sins from you. Accept the fact that they are forgiven and bury them and leave them. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. My sins were on Jesus on the cross. My sins were on Jesus as they laid him in the tomb. But when he came out, he came out and left my sins buried. 
And he can bear yours today if you'll come to him and trust him and ask him to do that. Micah chapter 7 and verse 19 tells us that he will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And you know what? There are places in the ocean that we don't know where the bottom is, how deep they are. He throws our sins there. And one preacher said, and he hangs up a no fishing sign. We're to bury them. He will take care of our sins. But one last thing, and you know as a preacher, last doesn't mean soon. He had to deal with his past successes. He had to deal with his past sins and get them in the past. But even closer to home to us many times is he had to deal with his past sorrows, the hurts, the disappointments, the abuse. Just trying to do the right thing. Follow Jesus. And he encountered hardships, hurts, heartaches, hateful wrongs against him. Paul, there at Lystra, was taken outside the city in Acts 14. And he was stoned in verse 19. And they left him for dead. And in, in Philippians chapter, or in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi, he's lied about, taken out and beaten with rods and thrown into prison. He had abuse. He knew what abuse is like. And some of you have been abused. And if you don't deal with that and get it in the past and get it in the sea of God's forgetfulness and you purposely forgetting that, and that means, remember, forgetting those things which are behind, no longer being influenced by, it's going to weigh you down. The abuse. But also there was abandonment. When the chips were down and Paul was counting on some people, they let him down. <laughs> Anybody ever let you down? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 10, verses 14 through 16. Let me give you part of those verses. Demas has forsaken me. Second Timothy, if you remember, Paul's in prison. He's awaiting execution. He knows he's not getting out of prison this time. He's going to be executed. Demas has forsaken me. He goes on to later and says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. And then he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Abandonment. Disappointments. But it's been well said, disappointments are God's appointments. And when people let us down, God will never let us down. And we'll see how faithful God is. And he goes on in verse 17 to say, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. And that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And then there is something even closer to home. Not just people abandoning us and letting us down. But those closest to us betraying us. I think of David. His son Absalom. 
turns on him. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we read in verses 30 and 31, as David's fleeing out of Jerusalem for his life, Absalom and the troops are coming. It says, so David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. Can you see that picture? Weeping, barefooted, his own son turned against him. And it says all the people were with him, covered their heads, and the people around him went up weeping. But then the scripture says, then someone told David. At that low moment, someone told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. First his son, then his closest trusted advisor. David writes about it, Psalm 55. For it was not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor it was one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the thong. I read this on something I was looking at and people were making comments and I don't remember where it was now. It was seven, eight months ago. A lady named Lil B. She said, I feel this. My love of 35 years has lost his mind and I don't know who this man is. I'm so confused and lost. He didn't just break my heart. He is breaking my soul. My own familiar friend. Who comes to mind to you today? Someone who's let you down. Someone who's abused you. Someone who's abandoned you caused you trouble unfairly, unjustly. The last thing about this is an acquittal. An acquittal. An acquittal is when uh, a person that is accused is free from the charge of an offense as far as criminal law is concerned. In the United States, an acquittal prohibits the retrial of the accused for the same offense. Just as God has forgiven us, he says we are to forgive others. And remember what forgive is? To no longer be influenced by. You may never forget, but you forgive. I mean, you release the debt. You let them go. You acquit them. In your court, in your heart, they're on trial. And you say, you're acquitted. Clara Barton, the founder of the, founder of the uh, Red Cross, was talking with a friend one day when the name of a person they both knew came up. Years before, that person had done some very mean things to Clara. Her friend asked, don't you remember what they did to you? Here was her reply. I distinctly remember forgetting that. This morning would be a good time, Father's Day. 2023, Christ Community Church, to say, I am going to forget. I'm going to unload 
my past successes, the sins, the sorrows. I'm going to unload them today. I'm, I'm not going to carry them anymore. I'm going to leave them in the past. You know, as I worked on this message, God worked on me. Ian Bounds, he said, The preacher's sharpest and strongest preaching should be to himself. His most difficult, laborious work must be with himself. God worked on me. And, and, and I thought of an event and I said, You know, God, I've been carrying this and I let it go and I carry it and I let it go. For once for all, I'm, I'm leaving it behind. The next day, he reminded me of some others, some people and some events, and I had to deal with them, and we, we had a third round before it was over. And since then, every now and then, they come to mind, those events, those sins, those things, and I'm able to now, just this year, to say, no, I have buried those. I'm not digging them up again. And, I, and I'm free. And I go on. You know, that's a step of faith. To say, by faith, I believe they're under the blood. By faith, I have chosen to, to forgive and to forget and no longer to be uh, affected by those. To be influenced by them. And so I want to challenge you this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of His resurrection, a power more powerful than we will ever know, to receive the grace to let things go. C.S. Lewis said, There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Let it go. There's good ahead. J.B. Phillips, as he paraphrased this passage, he said, I leave the past behind. And with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge from your word and the example from the Apostle Paul. And I pray now that your word will not return void, but it will bring forth fruit. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word with these dear souls. And we trust it to you now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.